Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. was incredible and we looked at this idea in the bible that all throughout the bible you see miracles you see some things that just seem to blow the mind not make sense they don't add up last week they literally don't add up five plus two is you guys aren't even sure um five five plus two is seven but in god's economy it was five plus two equals five thousand with twelve doggy bags left over it was this mathematical miracle where jesus took a boy's lunchbox and fed five thousand plus people and it was just what and so this is what we define miracles as miracles are miracles are god invading the natural course of things and momentarily changing the rules because how many know god made the rules like he set the laws of of nature and the laws of gravity and the law he, he set these laws in motion and, and just like it is in your house that you set certain rules, but you're the parent. And so sometimes you kind of break your own rules, but you're, you, you're, it's okay that you break the rules because they're your rules, right? They're, they're not, these aren't moral absolutes. These are just your rules. So, so remember all those times where mom said you can't drink from the milk carton, right? Because that's gross. What you didn't know was is that when mom or dad were up late, what did they do? Yeah, because that's what you do now. So, so you, you just know that, that God invades the natural course of things and he momentarily suspends or breaks the rules and jumps in and begins to do things. And this happens all throughout the Bible, but especially in these seasons of life where God was introducing kind of a new era, whether it was Moses or the prophets and now Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus has the most extraordinary miracles of all, and, and rightfully so. And so he does some amazing things. He opens up blind, eye, blind eyes. He helps people that are lame to walk. He literally raises people that are dead back to life. In last week, he fed multitudes of people with a small lunchbox. Today, he does an incredible miracle that we'll look at. And it happened um, in a land called Cana. It was a small little region in Judea. It was a small little nothing town. Not really much ever happened historically there. It's so small that it was like a village that eventually disappeared. But in this specific miracle, he does something on a molecular level. He literally does something where he takes the molecules of one thing and somehow changes them to make them into something completely different. And and it's awesome. And and we talked about this last week that for some of you, miracles are a a logical issue, like like something that you have a hard time getting your mind wrapped around. And and what I want to tell you is that's okay. Like... There's a lot of things that you believe that you don't get your mind wrapped around, right? There's all kinds of things that you don't understand, and yet you believe them. And so um, last week we talked about this idea, too, that literally if you exist, if you actually think, yes, I exist, then at some point you have to realize that you exist because something caused you to exist, right? Because something doesn't come from nothing. So something had to cause you to exist, and if, if, if we know that the whole universe got exploded into existence, then something had to cause that. And, and so when space began, and time began, and material began, somebody had to cause that. And so for you to cause space, you have to be spaceless, right? For you to cause time, you have to be timeless. And for you to cause material, you have to be immaterial. When you start looking at something that's powerful, intelligent, immaterial, timeless, spaceless, all these things. What do you have? That's what God is. That's the big definition of what God is. And if God created things, which is why we exist, right? If God can create anything at all, 
then it's logical, then that's the greatest miracle that ever took place. All other miracles are basically secondary to that. Because if God can create something out of nothing, he can certainly, certainly take something and change it into whatever else he wants. Because it's harder to take nothing and make something than anything else, right? Are you... Just, but some of us don't have a logical problem with miracles. Some of us have an emotional problem with miracles. Because here's what I know about you. At some point in your life, you prayed. And you really, really, really wanted God to do something on your behalf. You really wanted God to step in and do something incredible and save the day or save a family member or come through in this situation. And, and there's a great possibility that, that at some point one of those prayers did not get answered. That you prayed a prayer and you were hoping beyond hope and believing beyond belief. And then you were like left confused and dumbfounded and disappointed. You were like, but why God did you not do the miraculous? Why, God, did you leave me hanging here? And what you're left with is this kind of disappointment. As a matter of fact, there was a, a, to, to illustrate this, there was a, a Swedish psychologist. I can't even say their name. It was like back in the early 1900s. And he tells a story of a patient that he had. And the patient was a 47-year-old woman who had no short-term memory. Literally, anything she had eventually just gone. No, no ability to retain short-term thoughts and experiences. And so he was meeting with her and counseling her, and again, the psychologist, and trying to help this woman. And, and he realized, okay, every time she comes to meet with me for our appointment, I open the door and I greet her with a handshake. And that's just customary. That's what we do after or, or before every visit. We, we, we greet and shake hands. And he said, one day I tried an experiment, and what I did was I took a pen... And I stuck it in my hand and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke her. <laughs> this wasn't nice. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke her and then see if she'll remember that. And so he did. He gives her this pinprick. And when he shakes her hand, he pokes her in the hand. She's like, ow. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's like, what, what the heck? And why would you do that? And they, he begins to explain and talk about it. Well, sure enough, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, she forgets about it. She has no ability to retain any type of, of thing. But here's the deal. The very next time that... She came to the office. She didn't know why, but she would not shake his hand. She couldn't remember anything, but she had this distrust. She had this like caution. She had this kind of like, I don't know that. I... And from that point forward, he said that she would not fully trust him completely like she used to before that moment. And some of us, that's the way we are with God. It's not that we don't logically get our head wrapped around miracles. It's that emotionally we don't know that we even ask. Because if I ask, what if God doesn't come through? And if God doesn't come through, then I'll be disappointed all over again. It's like a pinprick experience in your mind that says, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll leave miracles for the Bible. But here's, here's my encouragement for you today. What do you got to lose? If you ask and God doesn't do anything the way that you wanted him to do it, you've lost nothing. But if you ask... And God somehow intervenes and suspends the laws and the nature and all the things that are going on. And maybe, just maybe, that God will do a miracle in your life. And I want you to know that I believe that there are miracles all around us, that God wants to do miracles in your life. And today we will look at one of these miracles and see what it has to teach us today. So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 2, verse 2, and read along with me. Fascinating miracle. Check it out. The Bible says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mom was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? 
just so you know, that was not rude. If, if I broke down language and culture and whatever, this was not like, so, so don't ever get, listen, if you're a son, don't you ever go out of here and be like, listen, woman. <laughs> and then be like, that's how Jesus said it. I'm just following Jesus. That's not, that's not the same. Woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. But his mother, almost seemingly ignoring him, looked to the servants and said, you do whatever he tells you. And nearby there was six stone water jars, the kind that the the Jews used for ceremonial washing, and they each held about 20 to 30 gallons. And so Jesus spoke to the servants and said, fill the jars with water. Everybody say water. So they filled them, like to the brim. And then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants that had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Isn't this an awesome miracle? Like, like this is, this is I, and I find it a little bit confusing because I'm like, of all the miracles that you could have done first, what made you do this one? And, it, and the, the answer that I have is it's not that Jesus didn't want to do bigger, cooler, better miracles or even maybe what we would see as more helpful miracles to people. He was almost kind of forced into it if you really look at it. His mom is, is, is apparently the woman that's kind of in charge of the wedding. Like there's a master of the ceremony, but he's just the guy footing the bill and Mary's kind of in charge of making sure everything runs well. And so the other thing you need to know about these weddings too is... Um, I almost wonder if the disciples were bummed because they were all young men. They were all maybe even like teenagers at this point in their life, like 18, 19 years old. And what I know about most dude teenagers is, is that they hate weddings. They don't want to go. This is, this is what makes it even crazier. Their weddings were not one-day weddings. These were anywhere from three to six-day long festivals. Like, can you imagine? So I'm almost thinking like mom is in charge and she's like, you know this family, you're coming and bring all of them with you. Make sure they bring a gift too. And they're like, man, I got to go to a wedding. So anyway, I don't know if that's the case, but they had to go to this wedding because mom's involved and they knew the family and something's going down and they run out of wine. And this is why this is such a big deal. It would have been, they lived in an honor shame culture and it would have been like incredibly shameful and embarrassing for you to invite all these people to this maybe week-long feast, and then you ran out of wine? Talk about angry people, bummed-out people, taking their gift back people, because you ran out of wine. And then you got to ask yourself this question. This is just food for thought. Did they run out of wine because Mary didn't order enough, or did they run out of wine because this is a crazy bunch that drank way, way, way more than they should have? I don't know the answer to that, but... There are some incredible like moments and lessons. And again, you have to remember this, is that these miracles that took place way back then are just microcosms of what God wants to do in your life now. What he was wanting to do for you, say to you, teach you, and guide you through. These things are just microcosms. And so here are some lessons from this wedding. The first lesson that I want you to see is this, is always invite Jesus to your wedding and your marriage. 
always invite Jesus to your wedding and to your marriage. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I, I kind of look and think, Jesus, this, you could have done a cooler, bigger miracle. You could have healed somebody or brought somebody back to life or something crazy. You, you, so you took time just to like be at a wedding? And I want you to get this kind of like wrapped around your head. I, I now switch because now I think the miracle is awesome because Jesus cares about something that you care about. Like this, if it's a big deal to you, I want you to know it's a big deal to your heavenly father. Like he cares about it because you care about it. And God is great, not only because something is not too big for him. You know, when we look at like feeding the 5,000, we think that is huge. God is so great that he can do something so huge. I want you to know God's not great just because he can take care of the big things. God is great because he can also take care of the small things. Like, that's really, really awesome that he shows up to this couple and he takes care of their wedding to save them from embarrassment and shame. And he does something incredible. And I want you to think about this. The master of the ceremony brings the guy over. And he says, hey, I just want you to know, like, I'm so impressed because everybody else, basically, they pull out the good stuff first and then we're all sloshed. Then they bring out the cheap box stuff, right? You save the best. For last. So Jesus doesn't just save them from shame and embarrassment. He actually helps this guy take like a foot forward and really shine and look great. Like this was just a big deal to Jesus. And so uh, it was a big deal to him because it was a big deal to this couple. And I just want you to know, like always invite Jesus to your wedding. And even more importantly, like invite Jesus into your, into your marriage. Because anybody that's been married for any length of time will know this. Marriage is hard enough. Take Jesus out of it, it is almost impossible. Because it's Jesus that gives you the ability to change and to grow. It's Jesus that gives you the ability to be patient and to be merciful with your spouse because they're not perfect. It's Jesus that gives you the joy in your heart that can spill over into the life of your marriage. Always invite Jesus into the wedding and definitely into the marriage. Lesson number two is this. Um, Sometimes you still need to listen to your mom. Apparently. So for those of you who have a crazy mom or, or, or mom's not, that maybe you should dismiss this. But, but by and large, I'm just telling you, Jesus is still there and Jesus is still having to listen to his mom at some level. But here's what I think. I think if you remember the story of the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story and all that stuff, you got to remember Mary put all that stuff in the back of her mind and said, one day I'm going to cash that chip. One day that's going to come back to pass. I didn't ride on a donkey to Bethlehem for nothing. That kid's going to bail me out someday. And she knew. And then moms have this ability to believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. Sometimes you still need to listen to your mom. Just leave that one alone there. The next lesson really comes from the servants. And this is so huge. It's that obedience is your best shot at participating in a miracle. I want you to get your head wrapped around this. There were servants. Mary was in charge. But she had a bunch of worker bees or helpers or whatever it was. And if you remember, Jesus at first dismisses the idea. And he's like, woman... It's not my time. And she looked at the servants and she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That right there is life-changing advice for some of you. Because some of you look at the Bible, look at the commands, look at the ways of God, and you see them as like optional, and I'll buffet line them. I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but I don't know about that one, and I'm not going to do that one either. But I I really want this and this and not these things. And I'm telling you that one of the greatest things that you can ever do in your life is just listen to Mary on this one, and whatever Jesus tells you to do, just do it. 
Like just just a, a level of blind trust and faith that says, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't get my head wrapped around it, I'll trust because, well, anybody that can basically predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, he's probably worth listening to. You should give him at least that. And so I'm just going to do whatever he says. But listen to this. There were two different commands that Jesus gave them. The first was to go take these six water pots and fill them up with water. And the Bible just says, and they did it. And then he goes, now I want you to take a cup and take it to the master of the ceremony. He says, and they did it. Obedience is your best shot. Because here's what I know. I know you want and need a miracle sometime in your life. I know for some of you, you want to be in on the miracle. You want to participate and be a part of the miracle that takes place. And I'm telling you that obedience is your best shot. Because sometimes the reason why the miracle isn't coming is because we are stopping it ourselves and we have become our own roadblock. We have become our own traffic jam to trying to get where God wants us to go. And I'll I'll show it to you like this. It's hard... To ask for and believe for a miracle and really being expecting a miracle when we're doing everything in disobedience to God. It, it's, like, it's like asking your parents for dessert while throwing your veggies into the ceiling fan to see what happens. You're like, you, you, you better not reward them kids. But this is what we do. We live life. And we're like, okay, I know God's ways are this and God's commands are this and the, and, and the life of God is this and this and this. But you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. But when I need a bailout, I'm going to ask God for I'm just telling you, living a life of disobedience usually is going to create the drama where you're going to need a miracle. That's not where you want to live. You want to live in a life of obedience and blessing where you're always walking in the ways of God. Because here's the deal. It's hard to ask God for this financial breakthrough and this financial miracle all without ever honoring God in your finances. It, it, like, it's hard for you to say, God, I really want that promotion. I really want that. I know there's a hundred applicants and I, I don't have a shot in the dark and I, my, my resume doesn't measure up, but God, would you do a miracle all the while lacking integrity in the job that you got? I got quiet up in this Methodist church real quick here. So, so disobedience becomes our, our own traffic jam. It becomes the thing that stops us. And for these servants, they show you obedience To the ways of God is how you get into the flow of the miraculous. Let's keep going. That's not a hot um, point there. That was like last week I had one of those two. Like, let's move on from this one. All right, so so the lesson from the host, though, is this, though. Because remember, there's a host. There's a master of the ceremony. This is the lesson you learn from him. Is that God performs miracles in our lives often without us noticing. Like, you need to know... Because see, some of you have a hard time believing in miracles, but you don't know that you're living a miracle right now. You don't know that there's a miracle happening all around. See, not only did God create the universe, that's the greatest miracle ever. But what you don't understand is that he sustains the universe. Like there's no reason why the sun should keep coming up at the same exact time in the same exact way. And the earth should keep spinning in the same. Like like there's no explanation. That was what Einstein said when he said the only thing that is incomprehensible is that the universe is comprehensible. There's no reason why there should be a law and an order to flow to these things without something sustaining it. So like here's what you need to know. If you don't believe in miracles, you're, you're, you're living one. I'll prove it to you. Right now, the earth is spinning around its axis at a thousand miles an hour. As it's spinning around its axis at 1,000 miles an hour, you're traveling through space at the average velocity of 67,000 miles. 
per hour. Which means even if you stayed in bed and did a Netflix marathon, you would have still traveled 1.6 million miles through space that day. All while being completely unaware. You don't even know. It, look, some of you are like, I've never experienced a miracle. You've never not experienced a miracle. You, you didn't even know what you were a part of. It's bigger than you. It's so far beyond your ability to understand and comprehend, and yet you still have some belief in it. Watch this, because some of us, we're going into the telescope and seeing like, oh my gosh, this is a big miracle. You can go into a microscope and prove the same thing, because here's what you need to know, is that your body right now, if you were to look into and dive into your physical body and how God created it and sustains it, watch this. Right now, there are trillions of chemical reactions taking place in your body, everything from inhaling oxygen, metabolizing energy, managing equilibrium, manufacturing hormones, fighting antigens, filtering stimuli, mending tissue, purifying toxins, digesting food, circulating blood, and you never once consciously tried to do any of that. You were never once like, hold on. I just made some red blood cells. You've never not experienced a miracle. It's all around you. It, it, it's, it, it's something that's happening whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. And here's the deal. Those are the miracles that are beyond our ability to understand. But I believe, again, that God wants to invade even deeper into our lives and do things that are so incredible. I'm telling you, it happens. Here's, here's another thought that you need to have. Is be careful not to be a person that seeks miracles. Like, like they're happening all around you, but don't be a person that's like, 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 like the dog chasing a car. Don't, don't be that. Actually, what you want to be careful of is not being like this, this miracle chaser. You want to be a Jesus chaser. So the goal is not to seek miracles, it's to seek Jesus. And when you seek Jesus, miracles will eventually find you. This is the lesson that we learn from the host. But the most important lesson, and we'll, we'll, we'll begin to wrap up here. The most important lesson is really for everyone, and it's this. It's that God wants to take what you are and change you into something incredible. This is the microcosm of the miracle. Because in the miracle, Jesus took water and he turned it into wine. And this is what he does. He's in the transformation business. So literally, he takes in this moment molecules. He takes something that is unseen with the eye and somehow, as a matter of fact, this is what it would look like. So we all know that water is H2O because that one's the one that's easy to remember. What we don't know is that wine is this one. And I'm not going to begin to describe and explain what that is because I, well, I didn't barely, I barely passed biology so, or chemistry, which I don't even know what subject this would be. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. I'm good with math. I'm not, I'm not good with science. So, but the point is, is that, that literally he takes molecules and changes them. Like, I don't know how he does it. I just know that he did it. And here's what I want you to get your mind wrapped around. Listen to this quote from Abraham Kuyper. He says this. He goes, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Like, if he has the ability to create it, then he certainly has the ability to change what he created. And this is what he wants to do in you. Again, it's a microcosm. Because see, this is what God wants to do in you. Like right now, today, and every day for the rest of your life. Is he wants to be this agent where he's constantly taking what you are and changing you into something incredible. Watch this. A couple, couple of different points to add to this. Number one is this. Is that Jesus changed something that was lacking into something abundant. Didn't he? They ran out of wine. Like, they, it was nothing. 
I don't know if they drank too much. I don't know if Mary didn't order enough. But Mary says, hey, we're out of wine. Jesus, I need you to bail me out. And think about, they had no wine left. It's all about like the whole party is about to get angry. And he looks to the servants and he says this. He goes, see those six water pots? Go get them and fill them with water. Because I take what we do got. It's not going to be good. Nobody wants to drink water at a party. But just give me something to work with. So what he does is now, now the ceremonial washing was this, is that Jews always had this hand washing thing, and it was this kind of act of purification. So they had this before they went to the temple, before they eat meals, before they, it, was just, it was a hand washing thing. As a matter of fact, if you were to go into to, to Israel today and you were at the Wailing Wall, they have these things out there where you can go wash your hands for you. So it's just a ceremonial thing. And so they had these water pots left over from all the hand washing ceremony stuff. So he says, go take those. And it says that these water pots filled from everywhere from 20 to 30 gallons each pot, Right? So let's just say, let's, let's just go on the high side because Jesus always has leftovers apparently. On the high side, we're talking about 30 gallons and then we're talking about six of these things. I'm not going to ask you what that is in math because y'all will not give me a good answer. It's 180. <laughs> right, yeah, well, let's, okay, how, how many is 30 times six? 180. Yeah, we all be confident now. So I asked y'all what five plus two is and I get like blank stares. So I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere with... with yeah, 30 times 6. So, it's a, so, so I don't know if, I'm not a wine person. I don't drink wine. How many bottles of wine is that? We're talking about 180 gallons of wine. We went from nothing to 180 gallons in a moment. Like, I just need you to know, like, God is not shortchanged. God does not, like, have limitations. That God is not frugal in this moment and saying, oh, well, you know, I guess there's, there's this many people will only, will only do this. No, no. Even at the feeding of the 5,000, he had 12 basketfuls left over. God is a God of abundance. God is the God of more than enough. If God, listen, here's another thought. Is it a miracle if he turns a cup of water into a cup of wine. Is that a miracle? Because that's still like changing molecules, right? Is it a miracle if he takes 30 gallons and turns it into 30 gallons of wine? Is that a miracle? My, my point is this. To the infinite, all finites are equal. To a God who can do anything then one little miracle is the same as a hundred big miracles. It's all the same because it's all impossible for you, but all completely possible for him. And so to an infinite being, all finites are equal. It doesn't matter if two plus two equals eight or two plus two equals 5,000. It's all the same. It's all in the realm of his possibility. And so that's what he does in this moment. He takes something that's lacking and he turns it into something abundant. I just want you to know that that's what God wants to do in your life. That God wants to take what is lacking in your life and turning it into something that he can use for his abundance. I want you to think about that. The second one is this, is that Jesus changed something common into something valuable. Right? Like water's basically kind of free and we can go steal water and get water from all kinds of different places. Water's free. But wine. And, and, and remember what the master of the ceremony said. When he said, you normally bring out the good stuff first, try to impress everybody, and then once everybody's had a few drinks and you can't taste as well as you used to, then they bring out the box stuff. Then they bring out the cheap stuff. But you, you saved the best for last, meaning Jesus did not just make wine. He did not just make any kind of wine. Jesus apparently made, this is going to make the Baptist upset, Jesus made really good wine. Now, that's not an invitation to go get drunk <laughs> to all my Baptist friends out there. No, it's just, it, it's just showing you that God wants to take something common and turn it into something valuable. That's you. 
Like God wants to take what you were and to turn you into something made in his image and likeness. God wants to take your past and turn it around and do something incredible with it. This is what God, see, this is what some of you are so afraid about when it comes to you and your relationship with God. You're so afraid that if you follow God that he's going to take stuff from you. But that's not the story, is it? That he takes what's lacking and turns into abundance and he takes common and turns into great. God's, well, I mean, in some ways God is going to take some things from you. But you want him to. See, God's going to take your guilt. God's going to take your shame. God's going to take your sin. God's going to take your past. God, he'll take it all away. But then he replaces it with like meaning and joy and love and purpose. And this is what, this is the great exchange. He's transforming you into something incredible. And this is what happens when we come to Jesus. This is how we really begin to participate in the miracles. When we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you change me from what I was into something incredible? This is ultimately what salvation is. Is that God is paying the price so that he can change you from something ordinary into something extraordinary. That's what God wants to do in you. That is maybe the greatest miracle of all, isn't it? For God to take a human life and to take away their sin and their past, and then to make them a new creation in Christ Jesus, to give them a hope and a future, that's got to be the greatest miracle of all, because after, if that miracle doesn't play, take place, then nothing else lasts forever. Last, last thought is this, is that really when we look at this miracle where Jesus transforms water into wine, there's another story where Jesus transforms wine into something else. So, Jesus is all about the feast and all about the ceremony. As a matter of fact, he has a whole parable where he says the kingdom is a feast and you've been invited in. There's food, there's beverages, you just come on in. The kingdom is a feast and you have been invited in. And in this feast, in this festival, he turns water into wine. But at the Last Supper, literally just moments before his death, his crucifixion, his three days from his resurrection, at the Last Supper, he does something very different. He takes wine... And he turns it into something else. He literally, listen to this, Matthew chapter 26. The Bible says that he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to think about this. At the first miracle, he turned water into wine. But on the night before he was betrayed and crucified, he took wine and he turned it into grace and mercy. Literally, the cup was turned into a cup of forgiveness for you and I. That's the greatest miracle of all. Again, he transforms molecules. But in this moment, he begins to transform lives. As a matter of fact, ushers, I want you to do this right now. I want you to go ahead and begin to pass out our communion elements today. They're going to hand out little cups of juice and little wafers of bread. And if you're a part of our church, you know we do this with, with some regularity to it. If you're in here today and you're a Jesus follower and you'd like to participate, please, that, that's, that's it. If you put your faith in Jesus, please join us and participate. But this is what we're going to experience today, is that we're going to remember and we're going to recognize that Jesus is still in the transformation business. This is still what he does. This is still what he's about. And listen to me. You could be out there and be saved for 20 years. You could say, I've been following Jesus for 30 years. I want you to know that Jesus still today wants to transform you into something incredible. That he's not done with you yet. As they hand out the wafer and the juice, again, it's, the, it's symbolic. 
When we take this juice, we're recognizing that on that night, he changed the game. He changed the rules. The rules used to be, if you're really, really good and you keep these commands, then you'll be right with God. The rules used to be that when you have sin, you need to give a sacrifice and pay for the penalty of your sin. He said, I'm changing the rules. This is the miracle that's taking place. And the way he changed the rules was simple. He said, before you had to pay for your sins. He goes, now I pay for your sins. Before you had to make atonement, now I make atonement. Before it was up to you to do all these things, now I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do for you ultimately what you cannot do for yourself. And he changed the rules. Turned a cup of wine into a cup of forgiveness. People sometimes ask me, and they say, Todd, you know, when do we do communion? And how often do we do communion? And why don't we do communion more often? And and my answer is simple, and I've stuck to it for years now. The reason why we don't do communion on some type of specific rotation is because I think whenever you make something like routine... It, is it loses its life a little bit. Um, I think it's really, really hard for you to have that type of relationship in your marriage even. I think, I think certain routines in your marriage are good, but like, but like love still has to have some level of like enjoyment and inspiration and surprise and excitement to it. And if everything is a routine, then sometimes it just kind of loses. Can you imagine like if you talk to your wife, well, honey, it's eight o'clock. I'm supposed to hold your hand as we watch TV tonight. Hey, honey, it's nine o'clock. I'm supposed to kiss you. I'm so. You, you just, I, I don't. I, I just. And I've always found communion to be so special, and to be so meaningful that I never wanted it to have this routine. I wanted it to have this moment of like, no, no, this is a special occasion. Now, listen. If you want to do communion on your own, by all means, anytime you want, in your own devotion, in your own time, in a home Bible study, what, what, like have to have have communion as much as you want to. But as a church, I just determined a long time ago, we will keep it spread out. And we will keep it even kind of sporadic, because we want it to be an incredibly special occasion. We never want to take this moment and cheapen it and make it a routine. And so today, we take this special moment. They called it the Last Supper. We call it communion. And they recognize that Jesus changed the rules to the game. He changed everything. Because he turned water into wine, but then he turned wine into grace. Now that you have your communion cups, I'll read from you. And we'll join and take communion together. The Apostle Paul said that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, that he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? 2,000-something years ago, you did a miracle to save a couple from embarrassment, to do something extraordinary. But God, what we want to take away from it today, Lord, is that you have the ability to transform anything, something lacking into something abundant, something common into something valuable. And God, today we ask that you would do that in us, God, that you would transform us. 
God, there might be some things in us that are lacking, God. Would you fill in the gaps and fill us up and make us whole and complete in you? God, there's some areas of our life, God, where we're struggling right now and we need your power and we need your strength. God, I pray that you'd transform our mind and our thoughts. God, transform our heart. God, some of us need to be transformed literally from the inside out completely, God. And Lord God, we turn to you today and say, God, you're not done with me yet. Please do something miraculous in me. Lord, that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.